Pam. Uh, the, the person that everybody really truly missed, Pam, is gonna come up today as well. The person we all really wanna hear from, uh, Pam, is going to share with us. Um, Miss Pam, you know that we all appreciate you more than words can express. Uh, so, would you just give us, just, it doesn't have to be extravagant, just give us a little bit of a, kind of a walk us through what sabbatical was like for you from your perspective. Okay. Well, first of all, leading up to the sabbatical, Trent and I spent weeks in prayer. Is that making Weeks in prayer, just, you know, asking God to truly make the sabbatical something that's going to be life-changing for us. And not just us, but you guys as well, but we were focused just to make sure, like, if we were going to be blessed, number one, we were hugely blessed that you all were willing to allow us to go away for that time. And also our jobs. Our jobs were a blessing that they were willing to say, yeah, go, um, take some time and come back to us. So they want us back, so that's good. Um, <laughs> <Better. laughs> BJM, come back tomorrow. <laughs> so um, anyway, so we're very blessed by that, but we were praying hard and saying, God, we don't want it to be taken for granted. We don't want it to be a waste of time in any way. And so we prayed and said, God, if you would please, whatever you need to do to change us, to change us personally, to change us in our marriage, to change us with, with people, with relationships. So that was the first thing. And so during the whole time, we spent time praying. But the thing that I think that I walked away from the sabbatical with was the change in how I was able to get a deeper perspective of God because I know that my husband had in his heart and his mind, he's like, okay, God, where are you leading me for the next 10 to 15 years? What do you want to do with me? And it became very quickly, what are you going to do with us? And so in order for me to say, you know what, I, I don't want to miss going with him. <laughs> so whatever he's doing, I want to make sure that I'm there too. And so my goal for me personally was truly to get a deeper perspective and a deeper relationship with God. And so I took books. Um, I took books that I could learn and grow in, but I also took fictional books, you know, a few love stories that I could read. Um, that was fun too, but um, I took books that really helped me what what do I want to do to get deeper in my study in the Word of God? How, how can I grow personally to be able to share with others what God's teaching in His Word? Not, not just, oh, well, this is what it means to me, but truly, what, what is the Bible about? And as, as you all know, I mean, Trent has been really good at teaching us to know and understand that the Bible isn't about us. The Bible is about God. And if it's going to be about God, it's about us and how we are relating to God and what God is doing, and are we willing to go with him in that, what he's doing. And so I wanted to be there. I really wanted to be there. So my kids for Mother's Day bought me this journal called, um, it's an illuminated scripture journal, um, but it's literally the entire New Testament in a journal form. So each book 
This is the book of Matthew. And so I, my goal for the summer was to truly journal through each book as much as I could and study and read the scripture in the way that God would have me read it. Not, not just what can I get from it, but God, what am I seeing you in this, in your word? And so that truly was my goal for the sabbatical. I feel like I have a different perspective on God, a different, like a, a true perspective and a true perspective on his word. Um, and I wanted to be able to be that, that spouse that my husband needs to grow spiritually and to walk alongside him and into the future. Amen. Yeah. That's it. That's great. Is that it? Yeah. That's all? That's it. I get to go. That's great. <laughs> Good. All right, man. All right. Fire away. Well, before you talk about what's on your heart today, why don't you share a quick kind of recap of what we talked about last week? All right. If you weren't here last week, you can go back and watch either on YouTube or Facebook. But last week, um, I talked more about what God did in me. And uh, specifically, we unpacked a book called With that was really impactful um, during my journey that talks about different postures that we can have as we think about our relationship with God. It can, can have the posture of life under God, life over God, life from God, or life for God. And, and all those postures, there's some truth in them, but ultimately that's not the posture that God wants us to take because that's not his posture toward us. The posture that we want to, uh, to think about and, and really make the, the center of our journey is, is a life with God posture which is about communion, which is about being aware of God's presence in our life. And uh, again, if you didn't um, get a chance to, to, to listen to that, um, uh, you know, please go back and, and listen to that. And one of the things that we didn't say last week about that is just like the other postures, even a life with God, um, there is a level of caution um, and it, and it, the, the caution with a life with God is connected to something a lot of us have probably heard in the past, and that is these two words that we, that we, uh, we think about. It's the, the being versus doing. How many of you have ever heard, you know, in, in, in kind of Christian language, the battle between being and doing? And when you use the term life with God, initially you think, well, that's about being, life with God. It's about being and, um, and, and the caution with that is, is in, in our attempt to simply live life with God, be with God, we can fall off the cliff and it becomes an excuse not to ever do anything. Well, I just need to be with God. I, I'm just trying to live my life with God. I'm, in, I'm just in a season of being and that's where God has me. I'm just trying to learn how to be. Don't ask me to do. I'm trying to learn to be. And, and the, the classic scripture uh, that people will also often go to is the story uh, in the New Testament uh, of Mary and Martha. You all remember that story, right? Jesus is visiting, and Mary and Martha are, are in with him. And uh, Mary was sitting at his feet. Uh, she had a very relaxed posture, a very relaxed heart, right? And, and then Martha, uh, she was the one in the kitchen serving. Her heart was racing. She was busy, you know, doing, right? And uh, Mary gets upset and says, you know, um, or Martha gets upset with Mary and says, hey, Jesus, she's not being productive. 
right? I'm the one who's being productive here. And she's not being productive because she's sitting and doing nothing. And, you know, um, for me, it's easy to think much more like Martha because I'm about productivity. I'm a doer. I'm bent that way. I'm mired that way. And um, when I think about productivity, it, it usually is productivity with my, my hands, something that I'm doing. For me, it's not working with my hands. It's usually typing or writing or something with my head. I'm thinking, I'm planning, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to write. So a lot of my producti- productivity is, is hands-related and head-related. But one of the questions that I had to wrestle with as I thought about this, this being versus doing is, what about my heart? The productivity of my heart right? That, that how is my, what does it look like? And it was a question I wrote in my journal. What does it look like to emphasize the productivity of my heart? How is my heart growing and becoming bent more and more to this life with God? See, this whole idea of being versus doing is, is not even taught in the scripture. They, they'll typically go to that story. You know, being is not in competition with doing, They're not combatants where you have to choose one or the other. Learning to live our life with God, being, affects all of our doing. They're they're intertwined. They're interconnected. We should never have to think in terms of, am I choosing to be today or am I choosing to do today? Because you're never going to get away from doing, but you can do with or without God. But the same thing is true on the opposite end. You can be, I'm just going to be still. You, you can be still without God. And you can be still with God. So it's that learning to just mesh all of those things together. And I think that that, that, is, that is a key. And so that was, I wanted to make sure I put that in from, from last week because we didn't, didn't get to that. Beyond that, uh, after the, the, the personal posture, my posture toward God, I, I did want to spend uh, a lot of time seeking clarity for the future for me and for Zion. Um, you know, the truth is um, you can't get clarity for the future without looking to the past. And so... Um, I spent some time reflecting and rehearsing and thinking about the, the past 10 years uh, at Zion, and that was interesting. I, I've been a member of Zion for about five years now, uh, but I know there's a lot that Zion's gone through in the past 10 years or so that I necessarily wasn't a part of, but even before you were gone, and especially now that you've been back, I've heard you describe the last 10 years at Zion as a time of transition. So why don't you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, so depending on the day, and this was one of the first things that, that when I worked with my life coach, and when I say life coach, don't think like, oh, he's going to look. Like I, there was a man in my life that I met and spent time with weekly. He was a life coach. His name's Jim Wigan. He's a pastor in Michigan. He's become a friend uh, of mine. But one of the first things that we, you know, we talked about is we talked about kind of my life, my ministry life. And so as we unpacked the last 10 years, I told him, I said, Jim, depending on the day, I can look at the last 10 years of, of life and ministry in two different ways. At times, I can look back and say that the last 10 years were, and I, I don't want to I, I be, I don't want to overstate it, but I, there are times I look at the last 10 years and think that, that nothing happened in the last 10 years. It was a waste of time, that it was nothing like what I anticipated the decade of my 40s to look like. 
right? Like, there's a part of me that the, what I thought was going to happen in my 40s looked nothing like what the 40, the, my 40s actually looked like. And so I, there are times that I can think about the past and say that. But when I'm thinking correctly, when I'm living life with God, I look back at the last 10 plus years and I can see that what God was doing was taking Zion through a very long, <laughs> a decade-long transition. And what, what do I mean by that? Well, um, after that which we try not to speak in detail of happened, happened. Uh, we very, and we were tracking this way, but we went through a structure change. We moved from a top-down pastor as the CEO model of ministry to an elder team ministry. You know what, how long that took? It didn't take three months. It didn't take six months. That process was about a three-year process before we wrestled through it, uh, before we actually were able to uh, get to the place where we were ready to have um, biblical, you know, um, elders serving our church ministry. That took a long time. That, that was a long transition of necessity because we didn't want to do it quickly. We also changed our strategy. We went from a purely attractional model, come and see, come and see, come and see. We're going to put on a great production for you. And we turn that strategy into a disciple-making strategy. Guess what? You don't teach a church that has never been about making disciples to make disciples overnight. One of the problems with the American church is we were not discipled by another disciple. Most of us were discipled by the programs that the church offers. So we had to wrestle through that, talk about that. We had to find a generation of disciple makers who would fumble and stumble and trip and start and restart and figure out what it looks like to to actually disciple other people. That took a a, a long time. Uh, We began to change focus, again, from come and see us to we're going to come to you. That was when Pam and I were introduced to foster care. That's when we were introduced to the mental health field. And those two pieces has, have definitely taken, um, you know, a lot of focus uh, for us as a church to care about those two areas. And all of that takes time and it's a process. It's not a new program or a new event or a new this or a new that. All of those things were long, drawn out pieces. And then 2020 happened. And now you've got COVID. So now we're pushing pause and just trying to survive for about three years. Um, And so again, when I'm I'm living my life with God, when I'm thinking clearly, I can look back, Zion, and I I say this because I love you. I look back at the last 10 years, and I want to say thank you to those of us who have willingly, sometimes painfully, sometimes restlessly, gone through this long, again, let's call it what it was, about a 10-year transition phase. That's how I see uh, the last 10 years. Um, Again, um, I'm going to unpack more of of some personal stuff next week, but I want to kind of still talk in a little bit of broad strokes. I'm going to talk about Jim for a minute. Jim uh, my, my life coach, uh, who I met with weekly, um, again, had a he lot sounds, of... Sound, it sounds like um, discipleship. Sounds, sounds like sounds I was discipled, like yes, me, exactly. That. Jim Jim discipled me for 10 weeks. So yeah. um, so he, he really helped me wrestle through some things. A book that I read called Stuck helped me with this transition phase that I'm in. And I went through an online kind of course. It took several weeks that helped me to kind of get unstuck and help think clearly about my transition. So, so what, what sort of things did Jim disciple you in then that helped you 
uh, shape a vision for yourself and for Zion for the next 10 years then? Yeah, he started at the beginning. He kept it real simple. He asked me this question. He said, Trent, what did God save you from? Pretty easy question, right? Well, Jim, that's easy. I'm a pastor. He saved me from the penalty of my sins, right? He saved me from, you know, from myself. He saved me from the eternity in hell. He saved me from all these things. I could talk very, you know, theologically like we all could, you know, probably talk about what Jesus saved me from. But then he said, Trent, what, did, what do you think God saved you for? And that's, that's the question, right? What, what did he save you for? What was the purpose? was a plan. And that was really when I began to revisit the past and think about who I am and think about the future. And, and, and I said to Jim, I said, Jim, how do you, what do you do to help, how can you help me discover what I was saved for? And it's the same thing that he helps hundreds of people with at his church over the years and other pastors. And he, and he reminded me of three questions. This is not new. There's nothing new with this. But, but it really boils down to three questions. And he asked me, he said, Trent, what is your passion? What is your pain? And what are your proficiencies? I think I've got a slide uh, for that one. What, are, what is your passion? What is your pain? And what are your proficiencies? What are your passions? What do you love? What, what, what lights you up? What gets you excited? What, what is your pain? What, what, what burdens you? What, do you? what do you cry over? What makes you sad? And then what are, you, what are you good at? And then we begin to talk about how if we can figure out how those three questions, the answer to those questions can begin to converge, that we're well on our way to discovering our purpose. And so a lot of my summer was revisiting that, thinking, praying, talking, asking some of you, and I'll talk about that next week, to help me flesh out my, pay, my passion, my pain, and my purpose. But here's, here's an important moment in my sabbatical. And this is what I want to get to today. And having um, Nathan and Emily up here actually is a great segue. At some point in my, in my sabbatical, I had an aha moment. As I was thinking about rediscovering my purpose, my purpose, it hit me. Helping others discover their purpose and wrestle through these questions currently isn't but should be a big part of how we disciple people at Zion. That, that our discipleship plan, our discipleship process, our discipleship strategy doesn't right now involve much of, hey, let's sit and talk about what is your passion, what is your pain, and what are your proficiencies. And, and that's one of the things, as I think about our future, that we want to begin to incorporate into our discipleship plan. So what does that look like then, practically, for those of us who would call ourselves disciple-makers? Yeah, so, so the good news is I don't think that we've established a disciple-making plan that is knowledge-based only. Some discipleship plans are about just getting knowledge of the Word poured into other people's heads. And in that case, and I'm stealing this from another pastor that I listened to this summer, in that case, what we create is a bunch of Christian tadpoles all head and little else, <laughs> right? I, I don't want us to be a church filled with Christian tadpoles who have great knowledge of the Bible, but no discernment and wisdom of how to flesh it out, how to live it out, how to put it into practice. Now, don't, don't hear me say that knowledge is unimportant 
or knowledge doesn't matter because, again, knowledge is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge is where it all begins. But a lot of discipleship strategies start and stop with simply knowledge. Our discipleship plan, our strategy, I believe, is, is very much obedience-based. One of the reasons why last year, in 2022, our whole year, we did a series called All In. It's because it, it was in line with our discipleship strategy. We want you to be obedient to the commands of Christ. So we spent a whole year talking about the commands of Christ. But part of obeying Jesus is not just hearing his commands, but following his example, following his model, right? Jesus knew his purpose. He knew his passion, he knew his pain, and he knew his proficiencies, right? He made it clear that he came for one reason, to seek and to save the lost, right? And, and, and imagine what it would look like if as we are discipling or in discipling groups, one of the key pieces is spending time helping one another discern What's my purpose? Why, why did God save me? And I think that's something that, that's, that's missing. You know, the truth is, I'm, I believe this. I believe this about you, most of you, most of us, who are sincere followers of Jesus. At the end of our life, we want to hear God, we want to hear Christ say to us what? Faithful servant. Definitely better than what we heard last week. Yes. Depart from me. I never knew you, right? We don't, we're not down with that. We do want to hear Christ say, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. Quick quiz. Anybody know where that, that is found in the scriptures? What parable that's part of? Anybody? Anybody? Matthew 25. Parable of the talents. You know, that, that story, or those words, well done, good and faithful servant, were told in the context of Jesus telling this parable about somebody, a master, entrusting to his servant, you know, 10, 5, and, and, and 1 talent, right? And so hearing the good and faith, well done, good and faithful servant was connected to not just what people became, but it was connected to what people actually did, right? And so let's draw that line then. When we think about wanting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, we tend to stress faithful. Well, I just want to be faithful. Others want to just stress well. We just want to, we just want to do well the, 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 little, the few things that we, you know, I just want to, you know. But there, the word done is in there too, right? Well done. You, you did something, but you did something that's connected back to what I've given to you. And so to me, I, I look at that and I think that, you know, um, whether it's our, our passions, God has given us those passions. Whether it's the pain, our experiences that God has allowed us to, to go through, are part of, part of, we, we've experienced pain, right? The things that we're good at, obviously, are a gift of God. Nathan talked about spiritual gifts, opportunities, all, all, of, all of the things in life that, that, that we would have to step back and say, wait a second, God has given this to me. What am I doing with it? Is all part of the conversation around discovering and finding our own purpose, right? And again, I, I just, I can't help but imagine discipleship including conversations around passion, pain, and proficiencies. Because in that moment, discipleship 
becomes more like a treasure hunt than a classroom lecture. How many of you would prefer going on a treasure hunt over a, a classroom lecture, right? I, I want to figure this out. I want to I unpack. I want to I unearth. I want to figure out what it is that, that makes me me and how God has wired me. That, that sounds way more fun than today. We're going to, you know, study the differences between Calvinism and Arminianism. Not saying that that's not important. I'm just saying one's a whole lot more fun than <laughs> the other, right? Um, and so that's, that's something that, that was an aha, aha moment for me when I began thinking about my purpose. And I'm going to unpack specifically about my purpose um, next week. So come back next week and you'll hear kind of the end result of how I think God has wired me for the next 10 years to fulfill his purposes for my life. But it also set, kind of set me on this path of saying, look, there's something missing uh, here at Zion in our discipleship process. And I think, that's, I think that's part of it. Let me give you a couple of verses and then we'll wrap up to kind of echo what I said. Second Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. That's First Timothy. Second Timothy three, t- three t- chapter three verse ten, Paul says this, talking to Timothy, his dis- his disciple. He says, "You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch in Icon- and Iconium and at Lystra." And this was just in one of my daily times, you know, in, in reading and, and, and journaling. But I put in here that these, these two verses, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, become great filter for disciple makers. That people need to understand our beliefs. That's, you know, what our, 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 my teaching, right? My conduct. Um, that's our, how we behave. But then my aim in life. Our aim in life. Paul said, I want you to know my aim in life. I want you to know my purpose, what, what the purpose of my life was. Then I wrote this question down. What would people, and I'm not going to look for it, I'm just going to remember it. What would people think my purpose in life is if they lived with me? If somebody lived with you trying to figure out I want to know what their purpose in life was. After a week, what would they conclude your purpose in life is? Yikes. It's a tough one. Right? And then one more verse in Titus. You can just turn off your following along. Titus 3, Paul says this to Titus, again, uh, one of his protégés. He says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to, the, to devote themselves to good works. And again, just in one of my journals one day, I wrote this down. What do you insist of others? And for me, you know, I, I, you know again, um, I insist that food is hot when I go to a restaurant, right? Uh, that, that, that when I check into a hotel, that the room is clean. I don't, I don't put up with cold food. Thanks, Mom. Learned that from her. <laughs> There's no reason that it's cold. Just heat it up, mic it, zap it. I don't care. I'm not being, I paid for hot food. I want it hot, right? Going, to a, going into a hotel, right? I, if, the, if the bed is a mess, it's got 
you know, things in the corner. Like, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to stay in a mess. Like, there are certain things in life that we all, don't look at me like that. <laughs> there are things in your life that you insist on. And if it doesn't meet, like, your standard, you're like, I got to address this. This, mm. this is unacceptable. Fast Wi-Fi. Right? Fast Wi-Fi. I mean, we, we, what do we insist on? And, and, and so Paul says to Titus, insist on this. That those who, and we can back up and read the first several verses, but basically those who've been redeemed and, and, and have, have experienced Christ insist that they maintain good works. That they do what I've called them to do. And again, the question is, is this, was this, do I insist of myself what I insist of others? Do, do, I, do, do we insist of of ourselves that we maintain good works as we live life with God for his glory. Do you insist that of yourself? Because we should. I accept no less of me than living a life of good works as I live with God. Again, feel that connection. It's not one or the other, but as I live life with God, as I'm living life with him, one of the things that he has asked me to do is to be careful to maintain good works. Why? Because he's given me talents that he wants me to use because one day I want to hear him say, well done. And if I'm going to hear him say, well done, then I need to make sure that my time spent here on earth is spent productively and, and used for his honor, his glory, his kingdom, fill in the blanks and, and I'll pull up short because I want to preach. But that's, that's what we have to wrestle with. And then as the worship team comes, I'll say this. Again, first and foremost, as we talked about last week, life with God is about treasuring God. Treasuring him. He is the treasure that we seek. And when we seek him, he's not a hidden treasure. Those who seek me will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. So first and foremost, Christ must be our treasure that we seek. That's it. He is our treasure. Having established Christ is our treasure, then the next thing to ask is this. Do we treasure the talents that our treasure has given to us? Do we treasure the talents that our treasure has given us? Do we know what they are? And are we using him? Using them for his kingdom or are we burying those talents? Zion, that's what we need to wrestle with. Treasure this way and treasure this way. And we're gonna do this for how long? Galatians 4.19 my prayer for the next 10 years at Zion is until Christ is formed in you. That's my prayer. If you want to know how I pray for you regularly, God, until Christ is formed in the people that you've entrusted to me, would you continue to work and mold and shape and help us all to grow? Let's stand and let's, unless you have something else. Am I? I no, I don't. You're good? The only thing we forgot yeah. was that, but. So, yeah, it's all good.
Okay. We'll, we'll right. do that later. Yeah. All right. So let's stand. Let's sing one song, and, uh, and, then, and then we'll go. Thank you. I love you. Let me pray for you. Father God, we love you. Thank you for the day and the opportunity. God, you've ministered to us. We've ministered to each other. We've heard people talking about their passions. We've been reminded of some important truths. God, uh, would you continue to instruct and lead and guide us as a church family until Christ is formed in us? We love you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing.